You are listening to weekly messages from Austin Christian Fellowship. For more information about ACF, visit acfellowship.org. Today I'm talking about uh, the importance of good hiking partners. When you're going out in the wilderness, it's really important to, to have some people around you who know what they're doing with you. Some may be more experienced than you are. But the wilderness, it can be a really scary and dangerous place. And unless you're really, really good at what you're doing, it's not a place you want to be alone. And sometimes if you are good at what you're doing, it can still be bad if you're alone. So let me pray. We're going to talk about that. Lord God, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for the really amazing worship. Just what makes it amazing is you. But I'm just so proud of this church and hearing them sing and uh, the way they engage. And um, we know you love it, so thank you for responding to it. Lord, I pray for every person online, watching or listening, I pray for every person in this room, the new people, the people, the seasoned veterans here. I pray for the people, Lord, today who have um, a lot on their mind and heart. You're the God of all comfort. And I pray you'll be that today. And I pray it in your name, amen. So it's not too soon to talk about uh, March since it's coming, and the series in March is gonna be about comfort. The whole year, I think, it's gonna fall over, yeah, there it goes. The whole year, I think, is gonna be around the are you ready preparing mindset, just preparing us to be better people in whatever's coming. March is gonna be about how to give and receive comfort. Um, I'm okay at giving it, I'm terrible at receiving it. And I'm just okay at giving it. I kind of want to say, rub some dirt on it. You know, take a lap, you'll be fine. It's not always appropriate. So we're going to talk about that um, in March. So I'm going to put a picture up for you that's a bit intense. Aaron Ralston on April 26th, 03. Uh, there's Aaron. Leave that up for a minute. Was rappelling in the Blue John Canyon in Utah and dislodged a rock and it pinned his arm against the wall. That's... An, this guy's incredible. He took a picture of it. He's thinking, if I survive this, I'm getting a book deal and a movie. And he did. The book's called Between a Rock and a Hard Place, by the way. Love that. So Aaron spent five days, took a picture of that with his um, arm dislodged between the rock. He actually would take his pocket knife and try to chip away at the rock, and all I did was make the rock come down further on his arm. Five nights. So forgive me. After five nights, he decided he had to take his arm off. And so he broke his arm and then used a multi-tool to amputate his arm. I'll spare you the details. He took a picture after that, by the way. Then repelled with one arm 70 feet down to the bottom of the canyon and walked out seven miles. Aaron um, lived to tell about it. He ended up getting a uh, prosthetic that made him a better climber and ended up summiting all the 14,000-foot mountains in Colorado in winter solo, which is really hard and dangerous to do. The problem with this was no one was with him and no one knew where he was going. He was just going out to play one day and didn't tell anybody where he was going and ended up spending five days and he didn't show up for work. They started looking for him. They didn't know where to look. So Aaron is a great example 
of, and he, he's apparently good enough climber to pull it off, I'm not, of the importance of entering to the wilderness with a plan. Because there's somebody with him that can go down and get help, and he's not five nights out there almost dying. But no one knew where he was. And in the wilderness of faith, it's even more dangerous than the wilderness of a rocky terrain or a mountain terrain. There's more opposition in the wilderness of faith than there are risks and dangers in a mountain wilderness. And the, the ability to step off the trail and get in serious trouble in the wilderness of faith if you're going solo, making what you think are the best decisions possible, you can wind up in a ditch. And so the importance of today is, is do you have someone else with you who's also got a pack that's walking the same direction you're walking and, and going with the same goals you have and will be camping next to you, sharing resources, helping find water, helping get a fire going, huddling up if the storm blows in. It's just good to know someone's there. Some of the loneliest nights I've spent on mountains have been alone in a thunderstorm above Timberline, watching my tent shake and going, what, why am I here and why am I alone? So the importance of, of companionship and partnership in the spiritual journey, friends, cannot be overstated. I've been saying it all year. This is not a time to be alone or a loner. So we'll start first in the Old Testament, a wedding passage, but it's not really about marriage. Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter says, this is 3,000-year-old wisdom. Solomon probably wrote this around 1,000 years before Christ. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of, I love this last line, a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Isn't that great? Solomon. So we've been promoting at Austin Christian Fellowship from the first day we had a church. We didn't get a lot right, but we got this one right. That the, the backbone of our church were gonna be not the large event weekend, but the, the huddle small groups. We called them 242 groups. I'll explain why in a minute. Where the church could be broken down into hundreds of people, hundreds of groups even, of five to seven people, 10 to 12 people, small couples, individuals, singles, some with families, because it is those groups where life and ministry best happen. You can come here and be anonymous. And for a minute, that's okay until the storm comes. 
and now you're out in the wilderness by yourself with your hand in a rock and you're stuck and you got no one to call and no one knows you're missing. See, it's one thing to be missing and people know you're missing. It's another to be missing and have no one know you're missing. That's terrifying. So we've been promoting this quarter three strands from day one. And so many of you do this so well. So many of you do this with such ease that you can you boast on how important it is in your life. So Acts, the second chapter, and Acts, the fourth chapter, give us a couple of snapshots of what life looked like in the early church. By the way, when, when the storms hit globally, the church does small really well. When COVID hit and we had to stop meeting, the small groups kept going. Some in person, some on Zoom. The people in North Korea, the people in South Korea, excuse me, who are part of churches of millions and millions of people, huge churches, know that if the North Koreans invade tomorrow and start killing pastors, they'll never find the church because it exists in hundreds of thousands of garages and apartment complex and law offices and caves that they'll never find. They might get snuff out the leaders, but they'll never find the church because it's everywhere, literally everywhere, in groups of five to seven people. Can't kill that. Acts 2.42 says, and we called our groups 2.42 groups because they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I love those four things. Teaching the word of God, coming together, worshiping together, doing meals together, and praying together. Sometime in the temple, most of the time in homes. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all believers were together and had all things in common. No one told them to do this, they just did it. They would sell their property and possessions and share with those who had need to the extent that anyone had need day by day, continually with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. My wife loves this verse, Acts 2.47, about using the table. Susie talks a lot about the table to do ministry and to do life together taking your meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. It was just an amazing time, but it was organic. It was, it was not controlled and not managed. Remember I said to you the very first week, everybody say, no. Um, the very first week, I said that if something happens, and you can't get to me, we have shut down or something, you have to be okay being pastor, teacher, elder, deacon, small group leader, children's minister, student minister, and prayer leader all at the same time. That's your job. And your home is the church now. In Acts chapter four, Verse 32, another snapshot, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that he had anything belonging to himself that was his own, but all things were common property to them. No one, no one told them to do that. That was just the heart of Christ in them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. 
For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring to the proceeds and lay them at the apostles' feet to be distributed to each one to the extent that any had need. I mean, I mean try, to go, try to go do that today. It's crazy. So for 2,000 years, the church has survived in the huddle. Not always able to do this. And when COVID hit, we missed this. But the thing that kept, keeps Christianity going over the millennia is this. Is this. And the thing that will meet your needs best is not a sermon on Sunday morning or amazing led, amazingly led worship. The thing that will keep your fire burning is when you're next to people who are burning too. Okay? That will keep your fire burning. Um, my wife has been in a small group, the same group of ladies, for a couple decades. One of them got a call a few weeks ago, and they were in the wilderness. And I've watched my wife and this small group live out this thing as they have rallied to the side of their small group member whose world went like this in an instant. And there's churches involved, there's people involved, but there's about six ladies that are at war for this lady and for her family. They're not taking no for an answer. That's what small groups do. That's what Christian community does. That's two are better than one. That's a quarter, three strands that is not gonna be broken. When I was in college, I loved to repel off of things. Sometimes things that I probably, well, uh, never mind. You sometimes had to step over the no trespassing sign to get to some of the places we were going, so I'm just gonna leave that at that. But we were repelling in Cameron Park one day, me and a friend of mine, and um, don't ask me why, but I actually got stuck above the rocks about 60 feet and was just hanging there. My rope had a knot in it that I wasn't aware of, and it caught on my carabiner, and I was stuck. And just dangling above the Brazos River. Great view. Just hanging there. And I, I yelled up to my climbing partner, I'm stuck and I need a knife. If I had been alone, I'd still be hanging there. <laughs> but fortunately, he was able to, we were able to rig something up and I was able to get onto a new line and cut the old one, which is terrifying, and have him belay me down. And I've been hanging so long, my legs had no circulation in them. It was, it was, it was a moment. And, but if I'd been by myself, I'm Aaron Ralston. I'm at some point cutting my rope and taking my luck on the rocks below. Stupid, stupid, S-T-O-O-P-I-D, stupid, okay? So we're here today to talk about the importance of you not being alone. You're a young married couple. Um, you're a single. You're a new to the city. Um, you're a high school or middle school kid. 
You're in retirement season. It doesn't matter the season you're in. We weren't wired to do faith alone, especially faith in the wilderness. I sat with a group of ACF leaders at eight o'clock this morning and they just did a check-in and there were tears. There were tears. Everybody's got something going on. And, but for this, it could be really powerful and hard. So I wanna show you a quick video of, that we put together for our Next Steps class. It's really a great thing we offer about once a quarter around here. And this is about, this is the love section. We call it the love section of our class and about the importance of doing life in community. Check this out. Um, my husband and I started going to ACF about six years ago and um, pretty quickly decided we liked it, joined a small group. I guess for me personally helped me to be in a group and fellowship with people that are going through a lot of the same things that I'm going through and can help and encourage me along the way and pray for me. And it's not just the weekly meeting where the, the meeting is great and we can dive into the word and we can talk about what's happening, but it's just the checking in with the women or being able to, to say, hey guys, I really need prayer. Kids go in the house. There's chicken poop on the ground. I don't want you stepping in it. Maybe that'll be the last one. There's not a lot of times in our life as adults that we get to build new relationships um, around new experiences. There's a lot of casual interactions. You may meet people through work, um, but meeting people through church and meeting weekly or monthly or doing service projects together uh, centered around faith is something that's really unique. Being a part of an ACF small group has really taught our family the importance of commitment. It's really uh, taught us how to prioritize our life in a way that makes it possible for us to do this time and this space together. It has been awesome. It's been awesome to be led by people that I know and love that have been in a different small group with me and you know we just get to continue that relationship in a different kind of way um, our leader when we started really wanted to put a big priority on all of us meeting together not only as the grown-ups but that the kids would really get to know each other well um, that they would form a relationship but also understand why we're meeting it wasn't just a time to jump on the trampoline or you know eat some snacks it was time to give the grown-ups time to grow together in Christ and hopefully model that for them that they one day would be able to step into our footsteps because that's what it's about, right, is raising disciples and that's a big goal of ours. You just run better when you're with a group. So I was talking to one of those members earlier this morning and she has a husband who's about to deploy for six months go serve our country somewhere else for six months. And she can testify to the importance of group and protection. So let's spend a few minutes before I wrap up on the benefits of doing life with a group. We call them small groups here. There's all kinds of names for small groups, but just about every church has them. And if you're not in one, and it doesn't have to be an ACF group for that matter. My group is a couple of pastors that I've been meeting with forever. And um, 
but you need that huddle. And if you're not part of one, and we, and we model huddle in children and in students and in adults. We do the same pattern of coming together. It takes different forms because of the age groups, but we model that throughout our ministries here. And the most important question I can ask somebody is, are you in a group? Because it's how you connect. So here are five benefits of being in a small group. Number one, they're your first responders. Um, and my wife Susie has been experiencing that and modeling that for the last few weeks with her group. But when something, when something goes up, when something gets going, when there's a, a crisis of some kind or a, a test comes back with bad results, and it could be a math test or a health test, okay? Um, when there is a marriage crisis, when there's a miscarriage, when there's a dying parent, I don't get called till really late in the game. The people that get called are small groups. Sometimes we'll never know about it until after the fact. They're the first responders. They circle in, they move in, and they, they will do meals, and they'll do care, and they'll do comfort, and they'll do prayer. I mean, they're, they're, all, they're fully equipped to just be church, and they don't need permission. It's like these guys in Acts. They sell their possessions. Nobody tells them to do it. They just do it. So our small groups are really well equipped to just respond, and you don't have to call a pastor. Pastors are overrated. He is one. He said, amen. They were overrated. We are. I'm going to rub some dirt on If I show up at your hospital room, it's not good. It's, you don't want me coming to your hospital room. I held a lady's hand one time and went, it's so good to see you. And she had an IV right there. Okay. <laughs> they, can't, they don't train you how to do that in seminary. It's like, oh, sorry. Did that hurt? You don't, you don't want me coming. It's not good if I come. They're equipped to just love, to just respond. And, and I could take the mic and go through the audience and say, tell me about the times you had the crisis and the small group responded and you could talk for days. And the, what worries me is some of you don't have that. And so now you're calling me and I'm showing up and we're both disasters. Secondly, they'll offer accountability. Sarah was talking about that a little bit at the end of the video. It's that little bit of, you know, the Peloton rides faster as a group than somebody riding solo. And so it's a little bit of, we're all going the same place. Let's see how far we can get. Let's all memorize a chapter together. Let's all agree to pray together as couples. Let's all talk about our financial stewardship and trying to get out of debt, maybe being more generous. It's just that, and some of you are going, I don't want that. Well, that's, Jesus had 12 disciples. He pulled them into a group and made them grow. If you're serious about Christianity, then you're gonna ride faster in a group. Let's all talk about our TV time and what we watch and what we don't watch and what we let our kids watch. And let's all talk about you know, how much alcohol we consume and is there anything controlling me that brings me into his control? Let's read a book together and see if we can learn together. It's accountability. Third, it's encouragement. It's the group that rallies around you when you wanna quit. I mean, when I show up with my two pastor buddies, there's typically one of us who wants to fire himself that day. I'm firing myself. Randy Phillips at Life Austin says he fires himself every Monday and decides by Thursday if he should hire himself back or not. He just wants to quit sometimes. And I mean, quit the walk. It's just hard to be a Christian sometimes. 
And sometimes the gravitational pull of sin and temptation and, and the world looks so good. And sometimes you're really tempted by it and you need somebody to say, that's stupid and that doesn't pay off and you don't want to do that. Rally, encourage, encourage each other. The Hebrews teaches, circle up and gather together and encourage each other today before temptation comes. The fourth one, and I love this one, it's one of the most overlooked benefits of spiritual gifts, of, excuse me, of small groups is spiritual gifts. When you're in a group, when there's two people, you have your gifts and their gifts. When there's six people, you pretty much have most of the spiritual gifts represented. And so you'll get a mercy response and you'll get a prophetic response and you'll get a teaching response and you'll get a hospitality response, which is a chocolate chip cookie. That's the best response ever. You get an intercessor response. You get a word of knowledge or a word of discernment response. You get a gift of healing response. You, you get all of that in a small group. Whereas if it's just you, you're gonna be looking at the lens of what's going on through your set of gifts and your temperament, et cetera. When you got a group of people, they all have those different spiritual gifts and that's how the body works. That's the church at its best. Your spiritual gifts using, being used to meet the needs of others. Your gifts are never for yourself. They're always for others. The gifts exist. I'm using a spiritual gift right now. It's for your benefit. That's what gifts do. So when you're a small group, you want all the gifts. You want the prophet speaking truth into it. You want the mercy going, can I just hold you and pray, cry with you? You want the intercessor going to war. You want it all. And finally, and Russ talked about this in the video, it's a great outlet for serving. We have a group on, the, on a plane, praise God, coming home safely, I think, uh, from Nicaragua to, right now. And I promise you, they're gonna be friends for life. Because you go do something like that together, you're, you're, you're done, you're joined at the hip. When you spend a day in somebody's yard, picking up trash, raking leaves, fixing broken windows, you go over to the Armadillo RV Park, RV Park in the Apache Shores area, and you put a, special, a handicapped special needs ramp on a house for somebody who can't get into their, their RV, or you patch a window that's broken, and you do it with some guys or some friends, you're, you're just kind of, it's, you grow. I mean, because we can go drink a beer and watch a game, or we can go fix a window for somebody. And there's nothing wrong with watching the game. But the meaningful, doing stuff meaningful together, sign me up. Because now we're doing something that matters. And I can call the gold out in you, and you can call the gold out in me and go, look at what we're doing. Some of my fondest moments have been on rooftops in third world countries with ACF men with a hammer in my hand, which I have no idea how to use, going, look where we are and look what we're doing. How cool is this? Walk in the, the houses in past Christiane after Katrina with a group of men walking over the, the rubble of what used to be a home and just stepping into people's homes and just listening, just listening to them tell their stories. They just want to talk. Don't serve, just listen. I need to tell you what happened. That's, small groups are a great outlet for serving together. I'm wondering if any of you feel like you've got your hand stuck on a rock right now. And no one knows. My son and I were coming down a mountain one time. <laughs> 
and we walked up on this guy who was, he was about 20. He was moving real slow coming down the trail, and he had a long way to go. He was bleeding pretty much just about everywhere. Elbows, back of his leg, back, head, not a lot, but he had taken a tumble for sure on what turned out to be a big old glacier that he was alone on. He was trying to go up a mountain called Meeker, which is a big, bad mountain in Estes Park. And it's, it's, you can do it alone, but you don't want to go up a snowfield alone if you know what you're doing. And he had no snow gear. He was just, I'll go do this. And he tumbled probably a couple hundred feet on snow, which is not soft when you get going fast. Tore him to shreds, cut him up. So he's, <laughs> he's walking along. We're like, would you like some help? He said, nope, this is a good lesson. If you live to tell about it, it's a great lesson. So let me put an email up on the screen for you. It's groups at acfellowship.org. Groups at acfellowship.org. And also, they just happen to be on the patio today, our groups team. Ready to talk to you about how we can connect you to others. Um, if... Groups are kind of like tithing. Until you've done it, you think it's crazy. And it looks intimidating. And it looks nosy. And it looks like they're going to do the Bible and they're going to ask me to read, pray out loud and all that stuff and I'm never doing it. And then once you start, you never go back. That's how tithing is. If you look, if you look at it and you've never done it, you're like, I'm not, why would I give 10% away? It's too much. No. Once you've done it, you never go back. Groups are the same way. You realize, I, never, I don't know how I made it. And what will typically happen is you'll get in a group and then something will happen and you'll be so glad you were in a group. So you can email us, please do, or you can stop by the table on the way out. You guys online can raise your hand and we can connect you immediately. So to conclude, I want to read Ecclesiastes again. And just let the words of Solomon, 3,000-year-old piece of wisdom, remind you of the importance of doing life in a huddle, life together. And again, write for the notes from this week because I've put a whole lot more scripture. And I, I gave a message back in the fall that many of you re have resonated about at Garden Friends. The link to that is on there. About when you're in, Jesus was in his garden, he didn't want to be alone, his garden of pain. So get the notes and you'll get that on there as well. Okay, here we go. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe, Aaron Ralston, woe, woe, Will, woe, Gaia on the mountain, to the one who falls when there's no one there to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And if one can overpower him who's alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands will not quickly be torn apart. You guys online, we love you. Um, please raise your hand for care and prayer right now. We'll see you next week.